I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. I just I can't wait to hear you standing in a field with your girlfriend testing 4G. I'm Nate Langson and this text message was sent on the 19th of April. Joining me this week to discuss the week's top UK technology news, which includes a discussion about the best power plugs. That's the stuff you plug into the wall. This week is Ian Morris. How are you doing, Ian? I'm good, mate. How are you? I've always wondered this on podcasts. Number one, I hate podcast intros, which is why ours is so short. But number two, I've always found it weird how a lot of people do sort of say, how are you to your guests as as a sort of default greeting. I know how you are. You're fine. And to be perfectly honest, (laughs) the listeners probably don't care as long as you're on and you sound healthy. Yeah, that's true. But it's a social convention, isn't it? It's um, I mean, I hate those things as much as you and I hate them in general life as well. Mm. Uh, I like things to just not be cliched and unfortunately life tends to be that way. Life is like that, yeah. So as we all take the inevitable uh, (laughs) further steps towards the old man with the scythe, we do become ever more bitter and jaded about the world of podcast intros, which is why ours is so supposedly so different this week it sounds uh, as, as much of a faff as many of them but that doesn't matter ian it's a pleasure to be in your audible and company mine yours yes good this week we are going to be talking about plugs the things you plug into the walls for power to travel over as a sort of electrical conduit into your devices of choice and the reason we're going to be talking about this is because of the apple watch But before we get to that, a little reminder that later on in the show, we've got some feedback and emails coming to podcast at natelangson.com. You may not be read out because you haven't sent one in. So do send one in if you feel the need to uh, comment on anything today. Podcast at natelangson.com. We're also going to be talking about broadband speed. Whoopee. And as if that was not enough, we are going to be doing our test slash review slash live audible speed test of the British 4G network. BT, EE, and 3. I have been out in a field with my girlfriend recording the sound of me reading out speed test results to find out if BT is very good on 4G. So you've got that to look forward to in the second half of the show. Let's get on with the news. Ian, this week, a picture leaked about the Apple Watch's UK plug. Yes. Now, for those of you who are overseas or have memory loss. The British plug is a three-pronged plug. has sort of one at the top and then two uh, below. Uh, and, uh, and, it's, and it's a brilliant plug. It's a fantastic design. However, if you try and put it in your pocket, you will result in being stabbed. Uh, if you tread on one, as my mother apparently did as a child, uh, and you land on it after jumping down the stairs, it will penetrate your foot. Exactly. Now they now they are they are some of the known problems with the British AC adapter and Apple's Apple Watch or Apple's Watch if you prefer the condensed form is going to ship in the UK with a design where the prongs fold into the plastic plug part itself which is a design I'm fairly sure I saw once 
from the James Dyson Innovation Awards or something, or at least a similar design. And Apple has independently, it seems, come up with the same idea, which I think is an idea uh, we probably should have had years ago. Um, Ian, before we get to the other half of our plug discussion, um, do you think this is something worth talking about? (laughs) Well, it's a bit late, isn't it? We are already talking about it. Um, I think it's great, this plug. I I mean, it's fantastic. I, I'm surprised someone hasn't come up with this before. And you are right. There was a girl, wasn't there, who um, mm. many years ago, when we were, when we were both at Cena, I believe, had designed this thing, and everyone got very excited about it. And it did become available, but it was it was a it was quite expensive, and therefore not all that worthwhile. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the the British plug is fantastic for a lot of reasons: safety, mm. uh, sturdiness, um, being British, uh, and and this is everything. British about the British plug, but with that little Apple twist that we yes. all love so very much. Well, I believe that the plug that we were thinking about was uh, developed by a company called Made in Mind, who have a, a plug that sort of folds in on itself. And um, they're two gentlemen that are demonstrating it in the video, at least. And uh, so I'm not sure if the woman that you thought about was uh, was a different person. I'm, but I it does have that. A, it has yes. a very different design just just to point out the apple plug folds back into itself whereas the made in mind plug sort of uh, uh folds out and then the bottom the, the two prongs at the bottom are on sort of a rotating um plinth if you like that you rotate and it folds up into a little compact box about the size of a matchbox with a usb plug on it yes mm. you you googled something there mate Sorry i did to I, you. no and no, i did I'm a, i was trying to find out whether or not um, there was a story, and uh, weirdly, um, there's something on Wired, but it's not quite the same thing. So I think I'm probably not going to be able to find it now. But if I do, I'll let you know. Well, if that was published after um, January 2015, then I cannot take responsibility for anything. <laughs> no, no, it was 2010. That's oh, Wired.com as well. So. Oh, right. Well, I was in charge then, but not of .com. No. Fair enough. I mean, the British plug was designed in 1947. You know, it was it was a post-World uh, War II creation, and it has been in use pretty much unmodified, I think, since then. But uh, quite a few years ago, Ian and I were writing for CNET. I think this goes back to about 2009 or 2010, uh, this particular piece we're going to talk about. And we were in the habit of creating these very bizarre articles sometimes. You know, we, we would do interesting comparisons i would do things like um the most obscure video game releases you know things like touch dick which was a south korean uh dictionary english dictionary for the nintendo ds hence the touch hence the dick obviously (laughs) did not come across that way uh in the uk market and ian and i've been wanting to talk about this as he knows very well for for practically years wrote in wrote a feature called plug versus plug which was where he took some of the uh, world's plugs and uh, compared them in a entirely unscientific way to one another um, to determine that, in fact, as was the objective at the beginning of the article, I remember, uh, to prove that the British plug was, in fact, the best of them all. Absolutely. So... I thought it would be fun for Ian to recap a little bit of this CNET article, which we will link into in, in the show notes for today's episode. In fact, if you search CNET plug versus plug, I pretty much guarantee this is the only one you will find. Um, shall we start with Japan, Ian? Yes. So you gave this a one out of ten. Yes, I think that's fair, don't you? Um, 
Yes, although I, I do realise that this is uh, this is very similar in design, if not identical, to the American plug, which you fairly also gave a one out of ten to. So, what is it about the the US and Japanese plugs that irk you so? Oh, they're awful. Have you ever used an American plug? I mean, they are. I think they are the same. I think that's probably got a lot to do with the you know history of electronic. I mean, the, the Japanese use the. Um, I believe they use R. Um, Hertz rate and the Americans plug system um, and maybe even our voltage or something but yes um, it's pathetic it, mm. it, uh, they, they don't work really they don't they don't do the job properly they hang out of the wall um, and just fall off it's just ridiculous I've never seen anything like it and they just strike me as being very unsafe well the, um, I do feel a little bit like I'm going to die every time I plug something in I have to sort of think you know is plugging this device in worth risking my life yeah, for this could and, be the last thing you ever do exactly and, and I'll be honest I have a list of things I'd like to do as I'm about to die and plugging something in is not amongst them no absolutely not do you want me to give you a little bit of inf- background information about why the US and the UK are so different electronically I would dearly like nothing more <laughs> sir <laughs> I thought you might well so the, in the in the UK we have this uh, thing that the Americans find absolutely hilarious and it's, uh, it's the ring main um, and the idea is in, in this country that you basically you run a cable from your the inlet you know the main point at which the you know the house gets its electricity the consumer unit as it's called now and you run a cable round and you create a loop um, and that was done originally because obviously copper was in short supply during the war um, and uh, and after obviously for some considerable time um, so this was an easy way to get more power to your house you know around the house without using so much cable now obviously the americans didn't go down that route they took a different system which i believe and i don't know because i'm obviously not an electrician in either country but they fe- took more cables out to each plug socket which is safer so the the ring main is a you know is a really kind of it's it's perhaps not the safest idea although it has been made safe by the things that we've done to it which is and part of that is our very sturdy plug with lots of fuses all around um so that's part of the reason and obviously the american system uh, runs on a lower voltage 110 volts and ours is 240 so there are some pretty good reasons i mean they don't need perhaps quite the sturdiness and they also earth on a, an american socket is much rarer although not unheard of they do have earthed sockets as well um, but so most of the time you get those two prong connectors uh, and so they, they don't need to be as sturdy and they don't have three pins which makes them less likely to stay in um, now it does it does make the plugs themselves a lot more attractive from a design standpoint i think in some yeah. ways because they're smaller they're lighter they take less material to create and they create lower bulge um which in some circles of life is a benefit yeah, I mean that that is true, but I mean you if you look at the I mean just for as, as as this whole discussion started by an Apple conversation, if you look at the plugs that Apple ships with its um devices with a USB socket on them, they're very very small really. Like there's not there's not a huge difference. The American ones protrude more but are more compact, uh, whereas the British ones are sort of flatter and more squashy. Um but they they sit closer to the plug. So I don't know. I mean, you could look at it either way. I think the Americans think our plug sockets are absolutely hysterical. Um, and to be fair, they are, if you look at them. They're very, very bulky. If you come at them from seeing the uh, the US or the European ones first, they definitely look like an over-engineered waste of time. Um, but as you say, the history is more interesting um, than the present in, in that regard, because I actually didn't know about the whole ring main thing. But before yeah. we get too much down the road of electricians, Ville, let's move on to another country, or in fact, a continent. In fact, 
there are many ways of describing um, Europe. And uh, and this is talking about the Euro plug, which apparently scores worse even than the American and Japanese plug, according to your 2009 article, which got a score, you write here, and I quote, <laughs> zero out of infinity. <laughs> so yeah. what's what's... I mean, you actually state here, and I'm quoting, Europlug is everything that's wrong with Europe. Yeah. It's bland, featureless, and the sockets <laughs> don't look like happy, smiling faces well, they don't. at all. Something of a misanthropic approach to uh, the European comparison there. Do you know, I've got to say, I think I, I think I was carrying a lot of rage back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I sat next to you for about four years. I definitely know you carried a lot of rage. And in fact, let it burst out on numerous occasions. <laughs> yes. Um, it, it, yeah, the Europlug, I don't quite, you know, I, I'm trying to think now back to, to, to what it was exactly that really, really enraged me about the Europlug. Um yeah, I mean, well, it, I think it, one of the things that annoyed you is that it was an unnecessary differentiation from the UK design because you can use a European uh, adapter in a British socket by shoving a pencil yeah. or something into the earth hole so that it pushes the flaps down on the other two and, uh, and 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 pushing it in. And indeed, in reviewing European electronics, sometimes we did do this at oh, CNET all uh, the much, time, although we had to sort of hide it from HR because it was technically lethal. Well, I don't think it is. I mean, it, you don't have to. Mate, nothing has to be Earth. Pushing a pencil into a live electrical outlet. Yeah, but uh, only the Earth socket, mate. I mean, if you're going to push a pencil into any socket, that's the one to pick. Mention that to a parent. In fact, you are a parent. <laughs> no, I am if a parent, you got home yeah. and found your son uh, doing this, would you be pleased or would you be <laughs> it's fearful? A, it's only a matter of time, let's be honest. That's why we put those little plastic caps on every socket. Excellent. Um, yes, I would be fearful, of course, um, because right, I well, don't think a, an infant is capable of understanding what an earth socket is. Um, all right, I'm gonna, yes. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna skip uh, Euro plug then. I'm also, I mean, no, no, uh, we, we, do, we don't because I mean, it, it is, it is a silly thing. It's a very silly thing. It, it doesn't seem to have any of the advantages of the British design, and it's more sturdy than the US, but yeah, it's round as well. Why is mm. it round? I don't know. Anyway, let's carry on. All right, mate. Um, let's jump very quickly because this only got two out of ten, so not a huge differentiation here in terms of argument, I imagine. Uh, the Australian plug, um, <laughs> which for listeners is uh, so it has the same basic layout of the British plug, which is the one up, two below bot, uh, option, but the uh, the actual holes themselves are vertical slits like the American design. Yeah. So um, it, it's sort of, it feels like a, it looks a little bit like a, a downward pointing arrow. If, uh, if if the arrow was made out of dotted lines, it looks sort of like the. Um, it kind of reminds me of the logo for the uh, the uh, the rebels in um, Star Wars. You know the the ship logo. I mean, it's very obscure. I just looked at it then and thought, hmm, Star Wars. Obviously, because that's all anyone's thinking about. Um, yeah, but you know what? The the, Amer- the Australian socket is funny because it's kind of a bit like the whole of Australian culture, which draws from both Britain and America. So you know, you look at American uh, Australian cars, and you know they they have a lot of you know they have a lot of in common with British cars, but they've also got that sort of American sensibility with the big engines. Again, here we go. You see, you've got the tiny slitty little slits for the sockets, but it's the three prong approach from Britain. So they've they've sort of taken the best of both worlds. Uh, mm. But they do have two hundred and forty volts, so that's something to be said uh, for the, for them. 
because think, they've got think, things will charge faster over there. <laughs> yes, true. And uh, hair straighteners voltage. will will heat up much faster. Yeah, I'm not sure about the charging thing because I think we're well under the requirement. But you're right. You know, things like boiling a kettle and hair straighteners. Yes, absolutely. Those would both be uh, hampered. I think under the 110 volt system. Mm. Um, well, actually, you can get around that because I happen to know that GHD, the manufacturer of hair straighteners, do actually adjust the way they pull power so that you still get fast charge even on, uh, or rather fast heating even on US outlets. Yeah, I mean, it's to be fair, I think you, there's not very much in the world that uses the full drain of either system. So I think you're probably safe. Mm. Um, let's move on to the next one. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip Italy a little bit because Italy has three prongs in a row, which is basically the same as the European system, but with an yeah. earth in the middle, I, I believe. I think that that's probably not widely adopted at the moment. I think they've probably gone more towards the European one. Yeah. Let's, the penultimate one, before we get to British, although we've pretty much talked about the English plug already, um, is the Dutch system. Yes, look at it. It looks like a smiling face. It does, doesn't it? Isn't it, it gorgeous? It has two large round holes at the top left and right and then below and center it has what looks like a half moon with the round bit at the bottom looking like an open smiley face it's not it's it's impossible to look at this and not think of joy you know it's it's raining smiles everywhere when i look at this plug. i know it makes me very happy just to go back to this excellent yeah. excellent plug socket plus earthed yeah, you, I'm, yes. I'm guessing it's it's earthed, it's safe, it's sturdy, it doesn't have to be too bulky, and it's smiling. Yes. Um, That's know, like everything from Denmark. Bacon. I was going to say, mm. great bacon, great plugs. Yeah. Uh, and then I could of course, live there. So you gave that 9 out of 10, and, yeah. and I think that was um, only because you kind of wanted to give it full marks, but needed to maintain the objectivity that was giving the British plug the full 10 marks. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, there wasn't much secret made about this. I think um, this sort of thing is sort of lost on the Americans a bit, because the whole thing is supposed to be very much, you know, it's a it's a Mickey take, isn't it? Let's be honest. There's no, there's no real way that I care enough about plug sockets, really. Um, to talk about them for that, 7 17 yeah, minutes. Yeah, they've just sort of proved that wrong, haven't we? Mm. Mm. Um, but yes, basically, the Brit British plug is is the best, and there are some reasons I believe that to be true. Although a lot of people do argue with me, um, you know, they're fused to the uh, to the to the uh, you know the end of the earth because they have to protect themselves from the cable melting and stuff like that. But you know, I don't have a problem with fuses. I think they're very useful things, and we have yeah. a lot of them in this country. Well, that is fantastic. Um, you can do a search on Google for plug versus plug Ian Morris uh, if you want to find that full article and, of course, the pictures to go with them. Uh, and I'll link that in the show notes on natelangston.com slash podcast. Well, our second story, just a quick one, this, because I wanted to point it out. Uh, this comes from James Temperton on Wired, amongst other places. Virgin Media is allegedly, secretly, testing 200 megabit per second broadband. This comes according to a speed test that was conducted on the 11th of April in Didcot, which is in Oxfordshire, I believe. Showed, it could be. Yeah, shows an average download speed of 198.5 megabits per second on a Virgin Media connection. And this is one of the areas that Virgin has apparently used to conduct trials uh, with recent speed test data. Now, Virgin only goes up... Only. Virgin currently maxes out its, uh, its uh, cable connections at 152 megabits per second, 152, which is what I have here. Do you have that as well, mate? I, I do mm. yes and I, you know I once had a conversation with Virgin about uh, about speeds um, and I, I there is a because when I was downloading GTA f um, 5 I noticed that I was getting like 18 megabits per second reported obviously I mean there is a there is a difference but I did ask them about this once um, 
and apparently even if you're if you're on a product like 152 the the um the, the way they cut it off is quite flexible so you can often get much higher speeds um, and that's particularly true of upstream you often see you get far far more upstream than the stated maximum mm. um, so but obviously this is a completely different league um you know getting 200 megabits per second is quite a lot more would you want 200 meg i mean i would well, of course i of course i would mm. i mean what a ridiculous question the thing is i'm happy to pay for, for I, I pay a fairly large amount of money consider you know i mean it's not massive but um yeah but i'm i'm happy to pay almost anything for broadband because it's the cornerstone of everything i do i agree and, and same here that's why i pay i mean i only pay for broadband i have no phone no tv i only pay for the broadband itself but i do go for the 152 uh meg but and, and i would go for 200 as well i think um there's a problem that we start running into, excuse me, um, which is, I'm just going to say that again. There's a problem that we can run into here, though, which is that we, we've, we've got to and surpassed the point at which some people's routers, Ethernet cables, even laptops and, and PCs themselves can actually take advantage of these speeds. A lot of them will cap at 100 megabits per second because that's what their ethernet cables and their their computers wireless chips max them out themselves so if you have mm. multiple machines you might get the most out of it but for me i had to go through and replace my entire home network to make sure i was getting the maximum i bought a airport extreme thing from apple and because uh, that's got all kinds of um well at the time it, it was one of the few that had um uh, I can't remember what they call it now, but it's basically got loads of antennas. It can do beam forming. It can do two or three different network types at once. It does five gigahertz, all that sort of stuff, which is really useful when you live in a Victorian house in central London where there's Wi-Fi bloody everywhere because it means mm. you can always get a very solid, good connection no matter whereabouts you are. So it was worth the money for me. But I had to go through and then check that all my Ethernet cables were using gigabit in, um, Ethernet, you know, yeah. and, and had to replace three of them because they, they weren't using them. They were using an older one. And, you know, it's not a, a huge expense in the grand scheme of things, but it's the kind of thing that you then have to advertise to people when they're taking advantage of these speeds. Because if you're setting up a brand new connection and you get a router from Virgin, then yes, you'll get the appropriate equipment. But you may very well have a machine that can't actually download at the maximum speed that you're getting coming into your house. It always used to be the other way around. Um, so I think that's quite interesting that we're moved into that era now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, and I suppose pe most people use that god awful super hub, don't they? Mm. I mean, that's yeah, and I do, but I don't use it as a super hub. I use it as a you know a, a single point entry, and then I do all the routing on different hardware because that thing is atrocious. The new one's technically better than the old one, but yeah, Te uh, technically, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, but the, the but the one I've got is technically better than the one before it. Very true. Very true. Pertinent points there. Um, I, I thought we could look at the... Sorry, that sounded a bit dismissive, didn't it? I'm, no, I was, no, no. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, it's um, No, I, I, I didn't think so. Well, I, I had a look to see what global averages we, we, we get, because obviously the average in the UK is a hell of a lot lower than that. I think it's about 15 yeah, megabits about, or something. It's not that high, I don't think, is it? Um, well, here, so here we go. I'm going to talk about this. The global average peak, and this is according to a 2014 Akamai study, Akamai being the uh, big sort of server edge caching content delivery network sort of backbone people they uh, they report that the global average peak which is to say um 
well, I'll give you their description of what the average peak is. The average peak connection speed metric represents an average of the maximum measured connection speeds across all the unique IP addresses seen by Akamai for the particular geography and is more representative of internet connection capacity. The average is used to mitigate the impact of unrepresentative maximum measured connection speeds. Basically, people with crazy high 3 billion gigabit connections skewing the average for everyone else. So... This is what the average peaks are. Number one, South Korea, 68 megabit per second average peak, followed by Hong Kong at 66, Singapore at 57, and then Israel, Japan, Romania, Taiwan, Latvia, Uruguay, and the Netherlands going from about 57 down to 45 for the Netherlands. So some pretty high average speeds there, and the global average is 21. Uh, and I think they they tested about forty five countries in this in this test of which the UK was a part of. So I mean the UK even with its even with its one hundred and fifty two megabit speeds coming out of Virgin doesn't even come into the top ten um, because of how generally below par our country's averages and our reliance on ADSL and things like that. So yes, hope, but I don't care about that, do I? No, but my, I don't. Need, I only care how fast my internet accesses. But my point was going to be that with Virgin potentially introducing these really high speeds, while that doesn't affect the majority of people, the cheaper cost of much faster access on the lower end of that side of things does mean that more people may get onto a much, much relatively faster um, connection speed as a result because... As ever, Very true. you know, as ever, the 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 wealthy uh, are investing. The early adopters are investing in the, uh, the super high speed and allowing the development of more affordable uh, options below that. And we're now seeing mm. some really very fast broadband speeds for for not a great deal of cash. So I thought all oh, that was that was pretty interesting. Um, that's going to do it for our news this week. Not so much news as it was twenty five minutes of discussion about plugs and broadband but that's to be fair what you signed up for when you downloaded the podcast from me and ian <laughs> um i i've got in here uh, in our running order social plug um i like the 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 coincidence there given yes it's good it's always there but this week with our discussion about plugs just feels ever so more relevant. Um, we've got a couple of emails I wanted to read out that have come to podcast at natelangson.com. I also wanted to mention that we are, are, have hit or are about to hit 50 reviews on the iTunes store. And I did also Amazing. get pointed out to me the other day that that's only the UK store. I haven't even begun looking at the other stores, the other iTunes stores that we're in. But um, we're, we're still on five stars. Amazing reviews. So thank you so much to everyone that has uh, <laughs> this plug special should knock that down a star or two shouldn't it Nate? you say that mate but i think this should encourage people how many other bloody british tech podcasts have you got that can be you know delivered with such authority and and quality of programming as as 20 minutes in depth discussion about the world's ac adapters absolutely i couldn't agree with you more. neither could i mate i'm glad you agree and this is why i encourage you to go and leave five stars on our, our podcast page mate um but no uh, seriously uh, thanks to everyone who's left review views it does mean the world and it really does make a huge difference to where we appear in the rankings about 90 percent of most podcasts and not just mine or, or wired's but like globally most people get the majority of their downloads from uh, itunes or apple podcasting platforms so those reviews genuinely make a difference but podcast at natelangson.com is where you can send your email and your feedback and uh, we picked two out for this week i'm, I'm going to read the first ian's going to read the second this comes from tom Tom says, Hi, Nate. 
I assume he means you as part of that, Ian. <laughs> Had a thought while you were discussing iPads versus phones versus computers at work and how people perceive it. This was our conversation the other week where I said that I find it awkward to use a phone in a meeting because people think I might be texting, whereas using an iPad or a computer, people uh, maybe assume it's, uh, it's work. Uh, Tom continues... I work in a Nottingham hospital where the doctors have all recently been given iPhones with access to a system called Nerve Centre, where, amongst other things, we can view patient observations and summaries. It's very useful, but has its flaws and issues, which I could rant endlessly about. But here's an issue that's more relevant. We use these devices heavily on ward rounds when we speak to and review patients, and I've noticed quite a bad reaction from some other patients. They think we're texting or on Facebook, and most um, have access... Sorry, um... And most have taken to telling patients what they're doing. Uh, the nurses have also access to these systems on iPads, which I occasionally borrow, and I've noticed that iPads don't get a reaction. It's obvious to our patients that they're a work device. Anyway, love where you're going with the show and the interviews are really interesting. I've been sure to give you a five-star review, Tom. Thank you very much, Tom, for the review and for the extremely interesting comment. I mean, that basically is exactly what I was saying about the meetings. It's interesting to see that in a sort of a hospital environment, the same reaction seems there. I wonder if other people have noticed this in their lines of work, that iPads or tablets uh, get a, a less um, scathing visual facial response, perhaps, I suppose it's because you 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 can't really t- I mean you can can't you I mean but I think people sort of assume that you can't text on a tablet mm. um so they might just automatically assume that it's a work thing from based purely on that and I, I don't know I don't know there must be other reasons but presumably people see you looking at your phone and immediately think texting I guess I think so even if that's not the case I suppose because because text messaging is something that pretty much everyone understands you know from the you know youngest to the oldest and that that's sort of a universal thing isn't it so it could be that i think so well um let us know podcast at natelangston.com if you have any other examples of where you found it more uh, socially or even professionally acceptable to use a tablet instead of a phone for some sort of um in work note-taking exercises um ian we've got an email from joseph in budapest Yes, absolutely. He says, Hi, Nate. I agree with the proposal that parents can be reported to the police uh, in, for letting their kids play 18-rated games. Uh, there's a huge problem in my son's class, he's 11, uh, that all kids are playing GTA, and of course he's also interested. I'm not letting him play such games, but it makes me worry that other parents don't have the same judgement I do. Many parents don't understand how violent the new GTA games are, um, and if you could be reported to the police, then parents would actually take it seriously. You can't smoke, drink or drive or vote in most EU states under the eight, under 18. Uh, the reason is that you are a kid and you don't know what you're doing. Uh, you're not ready as a person. Why would anyone want their kids to be influenced by these games? Regards, Joseph. Yeah. Uh, good point. Yes. Um, I mean, I, the first thing that stood out to me there is don't worry about what other people are doing as parents. Can't, can't be worrying about them. You just do the best job you can, which is what I try to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I take the point. Um, I just think, again, I think it comes, I think it should come down to parenting rather than legislation. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, and, but there's some, there's some solid points in there. Um, although regarding voting, there's a powerful argument that says we should be giving our kids a bit more access to the voting system a bit earlier. I would like to start a little system here called tell a colleague or tell a colleague if I can speak properly. Um, I cannot physically reach into your homes with my hands. I'm sure you're very pleased about that, Ian. And I am. I, God damn right. I don't want you reaching into my ha- home with your 
sausage-covered hands. Yes, exactly. Uh, I had sausage for dinner. Um, <laughs> and I can't reach into your office. But you, dear listener, you can because you're already there. And if you're listening to the show and thinking, I really enjoy this and I've installed a podcast app and I know how that stuff works, maybe you would like to tell a colleague and say, colleague, here's how you listen to a podcast. Here's a great one to start with. This is the kind of show that it is. Um, you are the best asset. So hopefully you can take that idea on your way to work tomorrow and introduce a colleague to the show and, and just help them install podcasts, a podcast app, not even just for text message, but for the wealth of other podcasts that are out there. Um, just help a fellow man get over his or her problem with installing podcasting software, because that's part of the problem here. Anyway, that's going to do it for the main half, uh, the main parts of the show. We've got a special feature coming up in uh, just a few moments where we're going to be doing a live test of BT's 4G network and what it means for the British technology industry. Realistically, <laughs> I'm just, I can't wait to hear you standing in a field with your girlfriend testing 4G. Uh, just to clarify, I was sitting down and it was a park. <laughs> I still can't wait to hear it. <laughs> I hope there's disgust in her voice if she says anything. She was my independent adjudicator to check the numbers were correct. Excellent. So anyway, thank you to Ian Morris and um, uh, over to you in a field, Nate. Thanks, me. And, and may I say, excellent show so far. Now, I'm sitting in a park in Ealing Broadway, which is uh, probably about seven miles from the centre of London. So it's a good place to test. It's a big, big built-up area, but it's nowhere near as busy as the centre of London, but it's also... It's also London, and so has generally good coverage and capacity. And I've got three devices, or Devi, here. Uh, I've got an iPhone 6 Plus, which has three on it, on 4G. I've got an iPad Air 2 in the middle, uh, which is for EE. And then at the end, I've got a Google Nexus 6, which has BT's 4G. And this is obviously the one that we're keen to test because well, that's the interesting one. Now, BT does use the EE backbone, so if there are discrepancies between the two, that's going to be quite interesting to see. Uh, I also have an independent adjudicator here to confirm my findings uh, in the form of Kate, my girlfriend. Say hi, Kate. Hi. There we go. Now, uh, we're going to start by testing the uh, EE one, which is on the iPad Air 2. We're pressing start now. And uh, this is hosted by Structured Communications, apparently. So we have a ping... Oh, we don't have a ping test, apparently. But the speed is hitting 36 megabits per second, 34, 34, 35, 36. Wow. And now we're testing the upload on EE, which is 30, 29, 28, 30, 29, 30, 31. Go on, hit 32. No, not quite. So EE ended 36.43 megabits down and 31.75 megabits up. That's pretty impressive. We're going to move on to uh, three now on the iPhone 6 Plus. Begin. And the test is currently preparing. And here we go. So it's testing the ping first. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not really interested in the ping test for this. Down speed. Okay. Six megabits. Seven. 7. 7.1. 6.7. 7.2. 6.5. 6.4. 6.5. So it ended on 6.6 .6 down. Upload 8.9, 9, 10, 10.8, 11, 11.5, 12, 12, 8, 12, 9, 13.06. So that was 6.6 .6 megabits per second down on 3 4G, but 13 megabits per second up. And now the one we're really interested to see is the BT 4G. 
28, 29, let's just hit 29. Okay. Up, we're on 17, 18, 16, 15, 16, 15, 15, hmm, struggling to go much over 15. And it's ended on 14.91. So according to this test at the top, we actually have EE uh, at 36.43 megabits down. We have BT next with 29.14 megabits down, and we have three on 6.6 megabits down. And on the upstream in the same order, we have 31.75, 14.91, and 13.06 on EEBT and three respectively. Gonna do a quick restart on um, all of these. I'm not gonna read out the speeds in total, but uh, I'm just gonna restart all the tests all at the same time just to see if we get any changes based on network issues, position, location. There's a plane flying overhead. Not sure where it's going, but I can tell you that it came from Heathrow because we're quite close to Heathrow here. Okay, interesting first results we have in EE on the downstream, got 22.5, BT got 20.73, so very, very similar. Uh, three dropped down to 2.43 megabits, so even slower than the last time, which is a shame. On the upstream, EE got 17.4, BT was 14.3, and 3 uh, was 13.56. So 3 consistently slowest, EE consistently the highest, and BT consistently in the middle out of those three tests. Interesting. Kate, can you confirm that these are indeed the accurate numbers you saw just then? They are the same, yes independently adjudicated there you cannot knock that now over to you again nate I'm now over near north ealing indoors i'm going to start the test on the iphone 6 first on three beginning start on bt on the nexus and start ee on the ipad so we have a 38 millisecond ping on the bt and that has hit 28.54 megabits per second. On EE, we've got 55 millisecond ping. It's currently on 20 megabits per second. 20.62 it's finished on. Three 40 millisecond ping, so the almost the best ping, only 1.58 megabits per second down, but 4.17 up, which is faster than BT at 3.43, uh, although EE was the fastest up at 5.91 so in order of speed it goes BT at the top with 28 then uh, EE with 20.6 bit of a discrepancy could be a signal strength thing possibly and uh, and 3 uh, has got 1.58 down which is pretty disappointing well, that's it for the speed test this week. Um, obviously, not the world's most scientific test in the world, just anecdotal, but, um, you know, d does show, a, a, you know, I think a consistent difference between the networks. Um, I think for me, I'm going to be moving to BT. Uh, I do have EE on my iPad. I think three speeds for me tend to be consistently lower everywhere that I work, um, but there's some fantastic reasons to be on three. Uh, and the one that I will miss is definitely the included roaming bills. Um, they call it Feel at Home, which is where you get the uh, to use your inclusive minutes and data and everything without paying extras in uh, many countries in Europe and also in the US, which is which is great. And it is a good value um, product. But for me, I cannot deny that the appeal of BT's um, 
uh, offerings in terms of its sim-only plans, a decent amount of data to be used every month, and based on today's test, the performance being comparable to what I'm getting on EE for my iPad. Um, I can't deny that that's very tempting. So for those of you sitting on the edge of your seats now for a fortnight thinking, which network will Nate move to? Will he move? Will he stay? Will he launch his own Nate work? Who knows? Um, you now know the answer. I will be moving to BT for my iPhone and I'll be staying on EE for my iPad. You're very welcome. I do these things so you don't have to. Um, let us know your experiences, of course, if you're on BT already. Do a speed test. I was using the Ookla speedtest.net app on uh, on all the devices, and you can get that. It's free download. Uh, it's a pretty good uh, uh, system to, to test. Do a speed test in your area and uh, email in. You know, if it, wasn't as exci- if it wasn't exciting enough having a live speed test reading, just think about how exciting it could be to have live readings of emails of people who have done their own tests. That's the great world we're living in, everybody, in, in podcasting worlds. Uh, what a time to be alive. Anyway, I've got to go and do a, another podcast now about the Elder Scrolls Online, and I need to eat my dinner. So thanks for listening. Please leave a podcast, uh, leave a review for the podcast on iTunes. Send us email, podcast at natelangson.com. And don't forget, tell a colleague, help them install a podcasting app, and introduce them to text message and your other favorite podcasts. And we'll see you again in a week. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.